Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John, or in this case, Dear John and Danielle. I'm here with Danielle Bainbridge. Hi. Hi. Hi, John. How's it going? Uh, It's going pretty good. I'm excited to be filling in for Hank. Um, Some may call it taking over Hank's life. Yeah. I think that this is a soft rebrand to move the Vlogbrothers brand. (laughs) I think it's a brilliant idea. Every time we had a kid, we would have guest hosts for like six weeks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think maybe we should just do that every year. (laughs) Like we should just take six weeks off. Maybe it'd be good for us. And also, I think our viewers might, uh, frankly, I I, I mean, I think they'd probably get tired of us. If you don't know Danielle, you should. uh, You should go to Origin of Everything, which is an incredible YouTube channel from PBS Digital Studios that uh, we help produce here in Indianapolis. Sheridan and Zuleha work on that, and they do an awesome job. Origin of Everything, tell us a little bit about it, Danielle. Um, So Origin of Everything is a YouTube channel that discusses our shared history and the undertold narratives that pin that story together. So the topics range from, you know, histories as broad and kind of as dark as racism and slavery and government imbalance to things as kind of quirky and offbeat as why do we eat popcorn at the movies. Um, All of them have interesting narratives and it's about getting people interested in how history has a really active role in our lives. Yeah, I mean, origin topics go, go from what is ethnicity to what's the deal with middle names, to why do we have laugh tracks on television, to why do we drink milk in school? And I just, I I love the breadth of the show. I also love the respect um, that you have for your audience. And I just think it's great. So check out Origin of Everything. That's the last plug of the entire show, um, except that my book, Turtles All the Way Down, is available in bookstores everywhere. (laughs) And anytime you need a t-shirt, you should go to dftva.com. All right, let's get into some questions from our listeners. Oh, wait, Danielle, before we do that. Oh, wait. We usually save the Mars news for the end of the show. But I feel like we got to do the Mars news up front because it's very sad. And I just I just think we've just got to get oh, it no. out of the way because it's dark. And these are dark times, dark times, especially if you're a Mars rover, <laughs> um, oh, especially if you're the Mars Opportunity rover, which tragically is deceased. It is no more. It has ceased to 
send messages back to Earth. It is gone. Its last message uh, was translated somewhat poetically by a reporter as, my battery is low and it is getting dark, which are not bad last words. Oh, no. I feel like I almost want to be hearing Aretha Franklin call me right now, Mm -hmm. where it's just a plaintive wail Mm -hmm. to someone who's left. But um, that's not a bad way to go out. I feel like my last one will be like, oh, my God, I slipped. And it'll be over. Or just like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, some kind of moan. So it is. It's nice. Good last words. I agree with you about the Aretha Franklin, and I would be playing it right now, but we cannot clear those rights. Oh, my God, please. No. I mean, she's very... That's a that's a high tier. I mean, how do you think right she ordered all those shoes at the at the viewing? <laughs> do you know that she so didn't have outfits. a will? Wow, she didn't really? have a will. Well, neither did Prince. Guys, make a will. Yeah, it's the theme of Dear Hank and John lately. Dear you Hank, know? John, and Danielle. Sorry, I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lean too heavily on that, but. Dear okay. Hank and John and Danielle, this first question okay. comes from Melinda, who writes, Dear Danielle and other people, but mostly Danielle, Good. my boss doesn't know my name. Oh. <laughs> I thought one day this issue would fix itself on its own because my email address is my name, my Slack name is my name, and many other people in the office do know my name. I thought maybe one day he would hear them say it and the beauty of my real name would ring true into his ears. But alas, I have worked there for five months and again today he called me <laughs> Melissa, not not Melinda. Oh. What do poor. you do? So she, I, I have already forgotten. She's Melinda. That's her real name. Her name is Melissa. Okay. No. Wait, no. It's, oh, no. Oh, it's no. Melinda. We're part of the problem. We're part of the problem. Her no. name is Melinda. <laughs> real Melinda. Okay. So um, I think first and foremost, how important is it to you that this boss knows your real name? Because right. I've worked in places where very higher ups and I was very low down, did not know who the hell I even was until I was in the room and then never learned my name. And I wonder if it's okay, if you're okay with that. Depends on the office structure. If you plan to be there for a long time, I would just tell him directly to his face, like, hi, it's Melinda. Yeah, it's possible that he thinks Melissa is a more formal form of Melinda. That he thinks he's being respectful <laughs> like <dressing it> up. <laughs> somehow, you know? Like instead of calling someone Rick, calling them Richard, okay. maybe? Is, is Rick short for Richard? I, I believe so. I thought is Rick it was not? a full name. I don't know. I've heard Dick for Richard. Now I'm in trouble. I don't know. I don't think we're good at names. I will also say anecdotally that in other countries where Danielle is a name for mostly men, that people will steadfastly call me Daniela no matter how many times I correct them. Right. And so sometimes I just roll with it because I'm tired of of trying. Yeah. I've um, rolled with Jonathan a few times in my life, just been like, you know what? There are fights worth having and this isn't one of them. That said, if you're boss and you're in a company of like <laughs> 10 people oh, yeah, that's and your boss doesn't know your name, you have to correct them. And it's hard and it's going to be a little bit of an uncomfortable situation. And that's why I would have one of your coworkers do it. <laughs> oh, I would that's tell your, one of your coworkers, hey, listen, can you go in and tell David that my name is Melinda and he needs to stop calling me Melissa and he and and then your co then it's on your coworker and then your boss doesn't have to like it's just, it's much less embarrassing I think. Oh, that actually is a good idea cuz my thing was just let him call you the wrong name until you quit. <laughs> so that wasn't real <laughs> advice. I mean, it depends on how much you like the job. I also will say that my examples were mostly places where I worked in like hospitals. Right. And, you know, there are thousands of employees there, hundreds of employees. So yeah. I just kind of let it be. And I was oh, thinking, yeah. okay, well, you know, they'll never learn my name and people are dying here. So maybe I should simmer down. 
Yeah, I definitely felt that way when I worked in a hospital. Yeah. I would be like, well, I'm not really the center of this story. <laughs> yeah, I know. In the back room, you're getting paper cuts and someone else is opening someone's heart. Right. And you think, I'll right. just continue with this. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be the protagonist of the children's <laughs> hospital, but I really wasn't. Um, I never did because I would get extremely anxious whenever any of the different codes and alarms went off. Oh, yeah. And I thought, it's a good thing that I'm not a part of this because I fell to pieces almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird, stressful uh, job. It I, is. I, I admire people who work in hospitals for longer than six months because That's true. I definitely couldn't. Yeah, you're people, welcome people for solving your problem, Melissa. We are always here for you. Wait, her name's Melinda, though, right? That was the joke. Oh, damn! Walked right on it. Okay. Well, you know, I tried. Okay. <laughs> this next question comes from Skyla. Who asks, Dear John and Danielle, my sister and I get along relatively well. We find ourselves sitting on my bed or on my floor talking and laughing about things that happen throughout the day. And this is really nice. But it does not happen with other friends who have siblings. With those friends, they often talk about how annoying their little siblings are. The only issue is that I don't find my sister annoying. To be honest, I find her rather good company. My opinions of my sister are quite opposite from theirs. I'm not sure what to do. Should I lie and say that my sister bothers me? Should I just present my opinions regardless of who I'm talking to? Should I steer the conversation away from sisters? Your most utterly confused friend, Skyla. Mm. Well, I mean, you could do what John did and replace your sister with someone cooler. <laughs> I'm just saying. Hank is gone. Hank is dead. Long live Danielle. So that's like just going to open with that. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's your only way out, but there is a potential for that. Um, <laughs> I also have siblings, and I was really drawn to this question when it got sent in, uh, primarily because I have two siblings who are very different. Both of my siblings I want to open with are very cool. They were cool when they were kids, and they're cool now. Um, but my sister was two years older and was, like, cool in high school. And so that was never something I was embarrassed about because hanging out with Kim was, like, a privilege that my friends were eager to have as well. They were, you know, one of my friends just got married. And uh, right before her wedding, she told me that my sister taught her to dance before our first sixth grade dance. And she was like, that skill set, I will take it to my wedding. And I was like, the kind of dancing she was teaching with you, you should not do at your wedding. (laughs) You should do a different kind of dance. You're married now. Um, But... You know, like, Kim was cool. Like, she had a lot going on. Um, My little brother is almost five years younger than me, and we were exceptionally close. But it is a little bit odd as, like, a 16-year-old girl to explain to your friends that you have an 11-year-old best friend who's a boy and he's your brother. I think what you need to learn at this point in life is that I'm imagining you're quite young, um, is that at the age you are, whatever age that may be, you want to be a lot like your friends and you think that having the same experiences is the only way to empathize with them or to connect with them. As you get older, you'll realize that empathy is kind of a more complicated emotion where it's essentially like uh, John is wearing a hat. I'm looking at this hat and I could say, John, that hat looks nice on you, but I have no desire to either buy or wear that hat because I know it will not fit my head because I have a very large head. So... When you have emotions like this, you could say, oh, I empathize that you find your siblings annoying or maybe you have conflict with them. I don't have that same conflict, but I could understand where you're coming from. And if you could say it to them in that way, most of your friends will respect you. And if my friends could get used to the fact that I always invited an 11-year-old boy to our high school parties, your friends could get used to your sister hanging out with you. Yeah, it's such an important relationship if you can keep it healthy in adulthood. Actually, I don't know if you're twins. You can't be twins. You never shared a womb. Well, probably you know, not at the same time. Yeah, okay. But they pro- they might have shared this, 
the same location. Maybe. Just at different eras. It's like living in a house, <laughs> then you move out and someone else moves <laughs> in. Moves into the house and you have an immediate connection right. to you've, them because you've you once still, lived in the you've, same house. You've kind of shared the same, you've shared the same house. That's true. Yeah. Or like hand-me-down clothes. Your parents I, yeah. are like hand-me-down clothes. I feel like it's getting weird. Let's move okay. on to our next question. This one comes from Elizabeth who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm very lucky that I recently got hired for my dream job. Like the job I have wanted since I was three or four. This is of course extremely exciting, but I do have one very small worry. I've been dreaming about this job for decades, and now I'm afraid I've built it up way too much in my head. You probably have, <laughs> for being honest. How can I come to think about this as just a new opportunity and not the opportunity that I better not waste? And if it doesn't work out, how do I not see it as it's all downhill from here? Thank you in advance, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. I wonder if it actually is Queen Elizabeth, and if so, what the dream job is that she's been dreaming Wait. of for decades. Maybe. <laughs> she's finally got that work opportunity Modern she's been looking for. Prince Philip retired from public engagements. Maybe she's taken on some of his things. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Is she now the Duke of Edinburgh? Maybe. She's like, oh, God, being Queen of England has been great, but what I've wanted this whole time was to be the Duke of Edinburgh, and now's my chance. She's like, I'm going to ascend by falling. She's like f- falling down, but still falling up. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, it's not. I don't know. Because life isn't life isn't about, you know, achieving more power or more money. It's about finding your your dream yeah. and your niche. And maybe for Queen Elizabeth, that's being the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> to take over. Now I'm wondering, is he... He is the Duke of Edinburgh. That was his title. I don't know. I don't know. But let's... Is he definitely alive? Because if not, this bit seems really, really cruel and heartless. I mean, he's definitely alive. I know that for a fact. Because they haven't been, like, weekend at burning him around at these royal weddings that have been happening and, like, baby births. Like, he's been there. I've seen him. Let's hope not. I don't, that now be, I feel like I'm it, doubling down. First off, he is the Duke of Edinburgh. Yes. Second Ooh. off, he is 97 years old oh and God. in excellent health. Okay, good, 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 good. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> if Prince Philip dies in the next five days, we're going to look really bad. I'm. This is extraordinarily gauche of us. I think maybe we should answer her question. You go first. Okay. Um, I have a little bit of experience with this because I remember when I sold my first book, um, and it was an extremely small um deal in the sense that like I wasn't able to like quit my job or whatever. Um, all of all of my friends used to make fun of me and say that I had a four-figure book deal, which was true. Um, a, a, but it was my dream. Like it was my dream to write and publish a young adult novel. Um, I was with my dream publisher. Uh, I had I had thought about that, you know, for, for a, a really long time. And I was really, really scared that it was also going to be the only book I got to publish, which often happens. And, um, you know, like a lot of times people write books and they're good books and they get good reviews and then they just disappear because there are a lot of books and not that many people who read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really scared about that. And I, I remember thinking a lot about it. And I had this great uncle who wrote one novel and, and never got to write a second novel. And I worried that somehow I was like, uh, you know, inhabited by his ghost or whatever. Um, but of course, like that that's not true. And also, if I hadn't gotten to write another novel, I would have been able to do other things. I think one of the problems we have is that we often think like when we, we talk about what are you going to be when you grow up or what are you going to do with your life? We imagine that you're only going to be one thing or that you're only going to do one thing. And of course, life isn't like that. You know, I mean, you end up doing a lot of things and some of them you do professionally and some of them you don't do professionally. 
But there, you have to kind of, I, my brother always says you have to diversify your identity. Like you have to see yourself not only as one thing, like if you see yourself just as a YouTuber and your YouTube influence declines, it's like catastrophic to your sense of self-worth. But if you see your, if you, you're able to diversify your identity and understand that you're also a brother and a, and a father and a son and, you know, lots of other things, then it, you know, and an AFC Wimbledon fan and whatever else, then it, it becomes less of a devastation. Um, and I, I really do believe that. So that that's, I guess, what I would encourage you to do. But congratulations on the job. Take a second to enjoy it. Toast yourself. Well, I also have long dreamed of a job, which was to be Hank on Dear Hank and John. <laughs> and I have also been long haunted by a ghost. Um <laughs> whose name is still in the title, but we won't mention him. So <laughs> we'll move on from that. So I think that sometimes your ambitions could be uh, conflicted, your your sense of self. But all kidding aside, I will tell one kind of like overly poignant story about this. Um, so when I was a very little kid in second grade, I had a teacher uh, who was probably one of the most influential teachers I ever had. And she taught me about poetry and taught me about writing. And at one point I wrote a poem about waves in the ocean. And she said, you should be a a writer. And I remember this had this huge impact on my life. And she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to deliver babies because I thought that there would be nothing better in the world than to like watch babies get born all the time. I had a very abstract view of what sure, it takes yeah. to yeah. deliver a baby. That's a second grader's dream job. <laughs> well, <laughs> in my head, I imagined that like, cause doctors were always very clean when I saw them. So I yeah. thought that you would like wear a little jacket yeah. and then just like hold babies yeah. at different points in the day. Yeah. And then moms would come up and like be your mom kind of sure. as well. Yeah. I have a mom and I love moms. So like I thought that I would be like hanging out with moms and babies. So this was like my big dream for my life. And then she said, uh, William Carlos Williams was a poet and a doctor. You could do both. This was like the revolution of my seven-year-old mind. And uh, I recently got the job that I had been dreaming on for a really long time at Northwestern. And um, I rediscovered my second grade poetry book, and I opened it, and my bio was, Danielle Bainbridge is in third grade, blah, 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 blah. And then the last part, and she was born in Manhattan, and she wants to be a doctor and a published writer one day. And then I just started weeping. Cause I was like, whoa, what a great artifact to find that I realized that dream. I can't deliver babies, but I do have a PhD. So people do call me doctor sometimes, um, depending on if they want an extension on their paper or not. <laughs> and it was, but it was like, a, it was very weighty. Yeah. And you are a doctor and you are a writer. Uh, yeah. And so I like sat on the floor and I was like, well, this is stupid. You're crying on a job that you haven't started yet. I think that part of it, though, is what John was saying is like, you know, think of yourself as divorced from your job in a way. So think of the skills you have as transitioning and moving with you in other spheres and other places. Um, and think. Think of it as an opportunity to express those skills. So if the job no longer exists or you move on from it, that you don't feel as if that dream died. Because I graduated second grade and I'm still doing the things I wanted to do. Um, hopefully I graduated second grade. This would be a weird time to find thought, out that yeah, I yeah, yeah. second Where, grade. Where like they take away your PhD because it turns <laughs> out that like deep in your transcript there's an issue. They're like, you know, your, uh, your dissertation was great and, um, you know, magna cum laude and everything. That's lovely. But unfortunately oh, – no. Yeah, you didn't finish second grade. So. I mean, like the, the the yarn would just the one string gets pulled, and the whole what would it be? What do you make from yarn? Hats? Sweaters? Probably. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with knitting. <laughs> I um, don't knit. But uh, 
But yeah, I, I, that is a common anxiety dream of mine mm-hmm. that uh, it will turn out. Well, because I feel like an imposter in all facets of my life that like it will be revealed somehow, you know, or it will turn out that like I was uh, unqualified for something that I claimed qualification for, like all those Congress people who lie about having served in the military or whatever. Um, I always worry about that. Like what's coming for me? Like, did I graduate from Kenyon? Maybe not. (laughs) I do get a little paranoid about that sometimes. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, did I plagiarize something? Oh, yeah, that's that's a a common one. Where it's like you think that you've read something before and then just rewritten it as if yes. you've never seen it. Yes. I got yeah. super worried about that yesterday, actually. <laughs> I wrote this Vlogbrothers video and I wrote this line that I liked. And then I wrote the line. And after writing the line, I was like, that's not mine. There's yeah. no way that's mine. And so I Googled it and there was no, there was nobody who'd, who'd said it that way. But then I was like, I'm probably just like rephrasing something. And I, I yeah, I got super paranoid about it. But I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't find anybody else who'd said it. So I think I'm clear. Whatever. Bringing it up in Dear Hank and John is not going to, Dear John and Dan. Yell is not going to fix anything because then now people will go hunting. Don't go yeah. hunting. I try- don't feed the oh, God, don't feed the sharks. I'm so afraid of plagiarizing. I even worry yeah. about plagiarizing myself. I as well. Like I feel like I've <laughs> got to acknowledge if I wrote something. Like whenever I write Anthropocene reviewed episodes, they're always like partly taken from Vlogbrothers videos and other stuff I've written over the years. And I feel like if I ever publish them, I'm going to have to like write a list of like <laughs> all of my sources for for my thought. I don't usually look back. Maybe that's like a a personality trait. I'm like, I'm overly nostalgic. So then I'm ruthless in writing that I never want to circle back. Mm. Um, But then it means that our conclusions are usually another episode started. So it's just like, instead of... Right. But you want to build build people toward the next thing. That's true. You want to be like, wait till next week. Keep them wanting more. Yeah. Uh, Next week on Origin. No, we said no more plugs. Sorry. Yeah, but you should check it out. Uh, I would say it's YouTube.com slash Origin of Everything, but it's not. Uh, but there is a link in the show notes. There is. Just go to the show notes. We have a relevant question, actually, from Francesca, who writes, Dear John and Danielle, how do I get YouTube to be more interesting again? I've noticed that it's much harder to get lost in video holes than it used to be. Whenever I watch videos, the recommended next videos are mainly stuff that I'm already subscribed to or that's already been recommended on my homepage or even that I've already watched or only one or two videos will be related to the one I'm watching. This makes it harder to find new things. Do I log out of my account and start (laughs) fresh? Puppies and Parmesan, Francesca. Ooh, two things I like. Uh, yeah, how do you find how do you find good stuff on YouTube? Um, okay, so a couple of things. This is something that I struggled with in my tea consumption recently, like physical tea. Uh, my cousin, who's British, very British, came to visit me and noticed with a little bit of disdain how much honey I put in my tea. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, should you? I'm not doing a British accent because I have pride, but like, should you be drinking that much? sugar every day because you consume an incredible amount of caffeine on top of the sugar. Like maybe you shouldn't be doing that. And I said, well, you know, it's gotten to the point where I'm drinking so much caffeine that I need a lot of sugar to even taste it. And Mm. she told me to basically reboot and start from drinking plain tea and then build up again. And you could actually decrease how much sugar you need Mm. by starting fresh. And it's kind of a similar thing. Oprah said this once when she was on one of her weight loss trends that you should salt your food right at the end so you could reduce your salt intake. Mm. Um, So basically by like eating less of that thing. So if you – I know maybe this is not the thing to say as someone who has a YouTube channel, but consume less YouTube and it will seem immediately more novel. Right. Or – and I kind of like the idea of the reboot in the sense of we're going to just drink some tea without Mm -hmm. any sugar in it. Of That's just a good point. deleting a bunch of your subscriptions or 
logging logging out. Although unfortunately now Google tends to still know who you are <laughs> no fair. matter what. Like I recently got onto a different computer, not logged in as myself, and I saw a video recommended to me that it could only have known about. There's only one way it knew about it, which is that it knew that it was me. But anyway, um, I I find the same thing. I I often have trouble finding new stuff on YouTube or I binge watch a a single channel and then I'm like, what now? Mm -hmm. Especially now that I don't use the social internet. By the way, that is a world record for how long I've ever gone without talking about not using the social internet. (laughs) That was a sound effect. I don't know if it'll translate. That was great. That well. Oh yeah. So um, I I have a hard time with YouTube's recommendation engine right now because I don't think it's not working for me. It must be working for lots of people because they wouldn't um, y- use it if it didn't increase watch time. But it is decreasing my watch time, and I'm spending more time on YouTube because I. Uh, need something to do with my brain that's distracty, um, that is not Twitter because my computer won't go there. So I, I am really struggling with this as well, and I don't have great recommendations except to say, like in person, a lot of my favorite YouTube channels I find out about from people like in person, which is so weird and it's so antiquated. But the human recommendation engine is so excellent. We are so good at sharing stuff with each other. Um, so, for instance, there's this YouTube channel, Primitive Technology, where this guy in Australia using only, like, tools that he has fashioned himself from sticks and stones is slowly working. He just smelted iron. Oh, my God. He's like, soon he's going to make a personal computer. He's like three years away <laughs> from achieving um, some, some kind of, like, separate civilization oh from scratch. God. It's amazing. I've I, okay, now I'm into it. Yeah, he uh, he, he farms. He, it's inc- it's an incredible uh, show. But I I heard about it from a real person, and you are hearing about, for instance, origin of everything from a real person. And I just think like that stuff is it. it you, YouTube one day it will be really it will be better at recommending than it is now. But until then, we have each other. That's true. IRLs still the way to go. If you can try to start another account. I did that recently. Mm. But I also will say it very quickly, at least in my uh, experience recently, it's been like over promoting already super popular channels. Right. And that is kind of been yeah. a bit of a annoyance to me because I feel like the things that trend are like the same 10 to 15 channels yep. who are already like really well populated, really well subscribed, and I already have been watching. So I don't need another recommendation to watch Tasty. This is no shade to Tasty. You're still good. I still enjoy you, but I don't want another recommendation to Tasty Video because I already watch them. Right. Watch them on every platform. Right. So I'd like to see like uh, more independent and small creators get promoted more yeah. regularly. So yeah, I'd like to see that too. Yeah. Um, which reminds me, in fact, that today's podcast is brought to you by smaller and independent YouTube creators. Smaller and independent YouTube creators, check them out. And this podcast is also brought to you by Prince Philip, still alive, still <laughs> kicking. This episode of Dear Hang is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house, or I. Will We'll eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week, and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house, and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials.
essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. And doing okay. I'm sorry to his entire family. All right, we got another question. This one comes from Hannah, who writes, Dear Danielle and John, I'm currently at a ballet performance of Romeo and Juliet, and during intermission, this nice-looking lady sitting next to me just casually asked her friend, how much salt does it take to mummify a person? Definitely not something I was expecting to hear today, but now that we're on the topic, how much salt would it take to mummify a person? Do you even need salt at all? Best wishes, Hannah. Um... There are a couple of different ways to mummify a person. I'm not saying this because I've done it. But you can use salt. You can use salt. Yeah. Salt is one of them. The Egyptians used a mix, this w- weird mix of salt and baking soda and uh, something else that's mm-hmm. related chemically to salt. And I don't know how much they needed, but they did need some. So I'm thinking of it now. And, like, I'm not trying to put myself forward as any expert on mummification or on human biology. Oh, no, this show is all about (laughs) making speculation sound authoritative. Um, So this is based off of a flight I recently took to Oregon where the only thing on the, like, in-flight entertainment was Criminal Minds, a show that I admire because I like to think about abnormal psychology and serial killers. And so there was an episode where they were mummifying women by putting them in the floorboards and cover them, like covering them in salt and then sealing up the floorboards. Oh, my God. And then they came to the house. I mean, it was a long flight, so I watched both parts of the episode. Um, so they came to the house and this police dog came up to the door and was like going crazy. And... The police officer was like, oh, my God, this dog's going crazy. And then Joe Mantegna, who's, I guess, the lead, he turns to the camera and goes, he's not going crazy. He's just overwhelmed. (laughs) And they peel back all the boards. And all these ladies who are covered in salt are, like, dropping out of the walls. Oh, God. Oh, no. um, Based off of this extensive. How is that on network television? (laughs) It's been on network television since, like, 2001. Oh, I find that so upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. And so based on this extensive research of an episode a two-part episode that I watched on a flight to Oregon. Yeah. You need about two big bags of salt, like what you would put on your driveway. There you the go. Winter. I mean, that that sounds very, like you know exactly what you're talking about. You've watched 88 <laughs> minutes of Criminal Minds on I this mean, topic. With no interruptions, with no commercials, because, you know, yeah. it was in-flight entertainment. That's the great thing about the plane. Yeah. All right, Danielle, we've reached the point of the podcast at which we talk about the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I'll go first so you can... Think about what you want your news from Mars to be. Oh, no. AFC Wimbledon, America's favorite third-tier soccer team, has done 
uh, okay, actually, recently, which is surprising because uh, we have been very bad. But the last three games, we won two of them. Uh, we beat Rochdale four to three. It was a thriller. The fourth goal, the winning goal, was scored in the 95th minute. Penalty, definite stone cold penalty, scored by Joe Pickett. Great game. Uh, very stressful, but g- good. And we also um, beat uh, Walsall, which pretty good result for us. Um, then we lost to Charlton. If we'd beaten Charlton, which again we didn't, so I am engaging in hypotheticals. If we'd beaten Charlton, we would have uh, maybe been close to not being definitely relegated. But again, we didn't beat them. Um, so currently, despite those two wins in the last three games, uh, AFC Wimbledon are still in last place. Not only are they in last place, they are they are a win and a draw away from being in second to last place. And um, currently, we need about uh, six, seven points away from not being relegated. So 12 games left in the season. Is it possible to not be relegated? Yes. Is it likely? Mm, No. We need to win seven of those 12 games, which would be a better result than we've had in any 12-game stretch in, I don't know, four or five years. (laughs) So I don't know. It's very likely that we'll be relegated. But hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. What's the news from Mars? Um, it's good so far. I don't know. I don't know what's happening on Mars. I'm so either. stressed out. I don't, I don't know. Uh, news from Mars. When I was a senior in high school, me and my friends dressed up as the Sailor Scouts. I was Sailor Mars. That is great. Oh, Boom. my God. Is that there's, true? There's photographic evidence. It is absolutely 100% true. And I can name all. How many were there? I think there's a, there were 11 Sailor Scouts, so 11 of us. Wow. Yeah, we came to school dressed that way. It was a lot. Wow, that is a lot. We had a steadfast dedication to our fandom, and uh, our moms all made the costumes. So there are 11 moms who deserve trophies. I mean, God bless those moms. Um, God bless those moms. That is legitimately extremely nerdy. (laughs) All right, yeah. Which is a compliment. I think that's definitely a compliment. I I was super proud of that costume. Um, I had no right to be proud because it was my mom who had to do the sewing, but I was proud of myself for making her do more work after her work day as an extremely busy woman who works in a hospital. That's kind of the definition, I think, of being an adolescent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You have Um, no concept of time. You don't have, yeah, you don't have a great concept of like what your parents' lives are like. Um, Or or you shouldn't have a great (laughs) concept. If you have a really good concept of what your parents' lives are like, like you're usually it's a very stressful situation. That is true. I didn't even really appreciate that my parents slept that often until I I was like maybe 20. When my kid was born was the first time I was like, oh, this was work. My pa- I always just felt like uh, <laughs> my, I, that it was a privilege for my parents to be in my presence. <laughs> I know. <laughs> lucky, lucky mom and dad getting to hang out with me every day, getting to change this diaper over and over again. I know. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, but no, it turns out that it is both joy and work. Danielle, thank you for potting with me. It has been such a joy. Everyone te- check out Origin of Everything. It mm-hmm. is as charming and fascinating and, and lovely as you would expect. 
Uh, and thank you again to Danielle for, for being here today. And thanks to all of you for listening. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, get a hold of Hank on Twitter where he's at Hank Green. Do you have uh, any of the social medias? Oh, my God. All the social medias. So I'm lousy at Twitter, but it's at PBS Origin. I'm pretty good at Instagram, and that's at PBS Origin of Everything. And I'm excellent at the community tab on our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash PBS Origin of Everything. There you go. YouTube.com slash PBS Origin of Everything. I cannot really be reached by social media. I don't know if I've mentioned <laughs> that to y'all before. So, uh, <laughs> only, only two for an hour. That's, that's an accomplishment. That's pretty good for me. For everyone here. <laughs> uh, this podcast oh, we're is, on Facebook. Oh, what? Oh, it's, it's la- everyone's last observation. <laughs> no! Oh, <laughs> those will actually be your last words. Oh, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> that actually will be the last thing that happens to me as I fall to the floor because I tripped on a banana peel and I'm on Facebook. Lights out. <laughs> the story of my life. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Uh, our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. The music that you're listening to right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in my hometown, don't forget to be awesome.